It's episode 57 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today are Ryan Top and J.P. Breen. Guys, how are we feeling about this uh, playoff-bound Milwaukee Brewers? Don't do that. What was the percentage? It is officially... Well, this was prior to Sunday's uh, finale against the Giants, but... 94.5%. We had a 94.5%, Steve. It was a good week. It was a it, it is a good week, and it's getting close to being an even better week. We're two outs away from a 6-3 win over the Giants. Yes. So, the, so the team right now has a 17% shot at winning the division. The vast majority of their playoff percentage comes from the wild card. But this upcoming week is going to be uh, kind of determinative as far as whether or not people can still have division dreams. I'd say they have, they have three days to see, uh, I, I guess, whether or not that that's going to go up or down as far as the division is concerned. Hopefully you get the weird effect because John Lester's coming back on two days rest, though he only pitched uh, an inning on Friday night before that game got monsooned out or whatever. So hopefully we get that. You know that that happens where guys will come back on weird rest when they don't Get a full start in like that. I remember Zach Greinke doing that once. Right. And then it was a disaster. It Hopefully was we get the biggest disaster I've ever seen. Yeah. The day before the All-Star break in 2012. Yeah. Hopefully we get that same effect. And Lester just looks like absolute crap on Monday and the Brewers pound him. And well, the Cubs are also having kind of a, a hangover. So they were grumpy. You know, we'll talk about this more, but I was going to say, we're, the, we're just doing our intro right now. So yeah. let's not spoil the whole thing. They were pretty grumpy and they're getting more grumpy in Washington. So they're going to be a a pretty um, feisty, uh, irritable squad. Irritable by the time by the by the time the Brewers are coming to town in uh, in Chicago. Yeah, so it's going to be fun this upcoming week. Um, Anyways, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at mke tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash mketailgate. If you join that at our ball and glove level, uh, those patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which will be out soon. Yes, we'll have to do it. Yes. JP's getting real busy, so you got to do it like in the next uh, couple days. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah. So uh, look out for that. It's coming real quick. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon Ford Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Out now is Carbon 4's. October Ale, their Oktoberfest style ale, and the Night Call Smoked Porter. And we have a new deal exclusively through Milwaukee's Tailgate. Use the promo code MKETailgate in the Carbon 4 web store and receive 20% off your order. Also, Fantasy Factory IPA is now in cans just in time to grab a six-pack and tailgate while you're watching the Brewers make a push for the playoffs. You can find it at the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard or at your local retailer. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon4, beer brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and Mix Pre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so what do we got for a final? Uh, the Brewers won 6 3. Corey Knabel got the last four outs. Four up, four down. Knabel's back on track. He's looked really pretty good. He's missing bats again, and his location seems to have gotten better. The curveball looks like a legitimate pitch again. Oh, he that's how he got the, the last out of the eighth inning with a runner on third, is he threw a nasty curveball that. Uh, that left the runner or the uh, batter just flailing over the top of it. So, um, yeah, he is in good shape. I wouldn't think they would want to push him too hard to get back into. I mean, this was a game where you were they were down a lot of their best relievers. They didn't have. I'm assuming Hader and Jeffress were both unavailable to them today, so they needed to do something here to get outs, and he was the best option. But they had a two run lead when he came in. Yeah. He's not pitching in just blowouts, so 
there there's a certain amount of trust or at least need to use them in in close games Mm -hmm. and they're willing to build that back up it was interesting to see corbin burns only went one on sunday after a, a really effective one inning too they let him out there for just one and then woodruff i think just got like one out let a runner on and then they yanked him for sedanio it's almost like when you can expand rosters in September, you can do funny stuff with the uh, pitching staff, right, JP? Absolutely. I I don't necessarily know if Hader was unavailable, but I think that Hader was not really needed uh, on on Sunday here. Just by I wasn't able to watch the vast majority of the game, only the last couple of innings, but um, it did not appear that it was a situation in which the Brewers needed to have their highest leverage guy go and if you're really thinking about what the situation is you'd much rather have hater raring to go on monday against chicago than needing to use him in what a two two or three run game um on sunday against the giants in which the giants really hadn't looked like they were going to put much together i think they have eight straight losses now the giants yeah i think they were seven coming into today yeah i was listening on the way over and it it was they, they had lost seven in a row so this is eight in a row and and they were kind of chippy during the game yeah uh well, Madison Bumgarner was chippy, and I guess uh, the leadoff homer was that Gregor Blanco. He was a little uh, celebratory, like going around the bases. Seemed to enjoy that one, which is odd because well, I thought they were a, an organization that frowned upon celebration. <laughs> Only they they frown upon very certain people celebra- celebrating. I mean, wh- what? How long did they hold that grudge against Fielder? It was like the next spring or whatever they started throwing at him. Yeah, I mean, I but that know. was like in 2010. That was oh, yeah. Madison Bumgarner's been around that long. Well, he came up in 10. I don't He's, think he was on the team in nine when they. I, the, the most fascinating thing to me about the Giants is that um, they have a player that like somehow looks nerdier than uh, Eric Sogard, which is so Kelby Tomlinson is like oh. the nerdiest baseball player that I've seen. I mean, if we're talking about awkward looking dudes on the Giants, it, I think it begins and ends with Hunter Pence, right? No, like, no, no. I'm the... saying nerdy. Okay. I know that there, there are really strange looking people all throughout, you know, baseball. But like well, no, in but terms Pence's... of look in terms of somebody coming up and looking like uh, it would be how I would imagine myself looking uh, if I were three inches taller. But like <laughs> I would like pretty big, pretty big glasses up there. And just looks like he just doesn't belong, like whatsoever. It's a good, it's a good look. And every sure. single time I see him, I'm just always like, man, that is, that is like you created somebody to look like yourself in MLB The Show, and then you <laughs> made it up to the Giants. Like that's what it looks like. There you go. Well, Steve had never seen. Speaking of awkward looking Giants and Hunter Pence, Steve had never seen the meme, the Hunter Pence as Jesus meme, which I highly recommend googling that baby because that is special. That is absolutely. I don't think it's even that photoshopped. I, I don't know if it's really a meme. If it, you know, unless everybody knows what you're talking about. What, I'm, I'm not sure sh- what you're talking about, see? but I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, I have no, I have no idea what it is. Yeah, no. Ryan, I'm makes very it disappointed similar. in both of you right now. Sure. So, anyways, the Brewers—they've won six straight series. Is that correct? Yeah, they finally swept one too. Uh, they're two and a half games back of the Cubs, and that's before the Cubs even finished well, their game. They're on now Sunday. two games two back games. of the Cubs. Pending whatever happens with this Nationals game. Yeah. Um, there are a couple games over the Cardinals for the first wild card and at least three and a half over the Dodgers. Yeah, they're so they're still two and a half over the Cardinals because the Cardinals won in Detroit finally. They lost two or three in Detroit. So, um, yeah. But, and then they 3.5 up on the Dodgers pending whatever happens in that game. Yes. Because they're playing Colorado right now. So. so, yes. And they're, well, the Dodgers are chasing Colorado. The Dodgers are chasing Colorado. I think they are like they were like a loss behind them. They're like a game behind Colorado right now. Yeah, I thought it, yeah, like even a half. So game. I mean that that spot that's just out of the uh, wild card seems like it's going to flip around quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. From uh, this point on, so like we said, kind of in the open, the Brewers are sitting in the driver's seat as far as getting themselves into the postseason at this point. Oh yeah, they absolutely are. It's hard to imagine if they from here on out were to go. What do they have? Eighteen games left, uh, something like that. Yeah, it, you know, if they were to go nine and nine, it'd be hard to imagine. You'd have to have two teams get really hot to overtake them. Yeah, they play five hundred ball. They're gonna win more than ninety games. Yes, they're at that. Point Which now. that's a pretty good baseline as far as getting yourself in the playoffs. Yeah. Though so, it is important that they try to 
get that home if they're not going to win the division and they you know will have a shot this week a really good series in Chicago a sweep in Chicago and now we're talking about the division so yeah regardless well, even of what if happens they take, today even taking two of three at least it still know. leaves them in the conversation yeah they still they still have a chance um so yeah they this series Monday through Wednesday is basically good it'll determine whether or not they have a shot at the division right yeah well, and I think for myself, who has kind of been going in and out in terms of how much I've actually been able to watch watch games, and, and this week I was able to to sneak away and, and watch more than I thought I was going to, just because I couldn't. I had to I had to watch the Cubs series, um, and I think the most interesting thing has been both looking at what the team's record has been in the second half, which is genu- genuinely good. Um, compared to the rhetoric surrounding the team based on, you know, for myself who hasn't necessarily been able to watch as many games, but trying to catch up on things on Twitter, um, which, you know, you can critique me for trying to catch up on things that way, but it's, it's genuinely been very negative. And so, well, that's gone away more Square those two things. Well, yeah. yeah it, but it's... like after, but after Wednesday's, uh, after Wednesday's loss to the Cubs, like it was not, it oh. was still very, very prevalent. That was it was nasty and it was dumb, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, I mean, there's well, and I think there's always a bit of fatalism with uh, Brewers fans as far as those those late season swoons that seem to even when they've made the playoffs. You know, 2008 they had that struggle to even get in, and they've had was it 2014 they had the fade at the end of the season. Um, Yeah, really, 2011 was the only time that they were in it. They led till the very end for uh, their their playoff appearance without too much drama this, this does go to something that that steve pointed out a, a couple of a couple of podcasts ago i don't remember when it was but it, basically you were you were pointing out the fact that the team is consistently lost on getaway days right before off days yeah and oh. just so it's just every single off day that seems to be coming around recently it's been a loss and just everybody has it to left, sit and stew over that i was gonna say it left f- fans to wallow in their own crapulence at that point so it was like yeah you get like 48 full hours usually because it's a day getaway game so well now they at least have packer news basically to fill the time (laughs) if they lose going in an off day just uh pay too much attention to that you know there's probably some long snapper news that can (laughs) keep your satiate your appetite so um Um, they are now 27 and 19 in the second half yes i mean it's good that's legitimately they're 55 and 43 in the first half well i think part of that feeling after the all-star break that they were on a slide in the second half was due to the way they went into the all-star break with, you know, they were on a losing skid. They lost five games in Pittsburgh. That Pittsburgh series was horrific on like a number of levels. It was. And it felt like, I mean, technically it's the second half of the season at that point. Yeah. You're already in the second, even though it was before the, the all-star game. And I think there was a little bit of like, people kept kind of dragging that into the the second half narrative that they hadn't been playing well when in reality they were playing fine to you know yeah right better out of the, than that right out of the break they were fine the end of july they finished july strong august was a very up and down month but still okay yeah on the whole it was fine it was fine yeah well and a part of it is also the 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 pitching staff hasn't been great i mean at times the bullpen has struggled um, the starting pitching has been average, and that might be kind. Well, I mean, but, it's turned around in the last week. They were just talking well, on the certainly. broadcast today. But Aug- they got through August because the offense well, got yeah, their stuff and together. I was and they say, won- yeah, they won some slugfests. Yeah, yeah. and I, I pulled up uh, pulled up the numbers for the second half. The Brewers have the fourth best offense in the NL in the second half. Which was much more in line with we were expecting a pretty good offensive club, and they were pretty mediocre to bad in the first half. Well, yeah, but it does really highlight a lot of people were questioning what they did at at the deadline in terms of lengthening the lineup, in terms of going out and actually getting some bats. And that has actually resulted in much better performance at the plate. Moustakas has been solid. Uh, Scope is really turning it around as of late. But the one thing that really has helped that I don't think too many people have noticed is Ryan Braun is playing well. I think people have have kind of realized it, that he is hitting the ball better and that more balls are falling in for him. Yeah, well, it it helps when you hit it off the wall, at least. 
that ball should have been out. That uh-huh. was so annoying. Um, yeah, who was it? Maybe I saw it in The Athletic. I think they were writing about Braun's second half for his recent resurgence. So Yeah, I mean, he's got an OPS in the second half well over 900 now. So he's he's having a very good... But also with the depth that they depth they brought in before the deadline, um, I think they have the ability to give Braun off days. Mustakas has gotten off days when the matchup's not right. Scope has had a chance to sit when he's needed to and get in against guys he can be successful, and I think that's probably helped. You know, they, so they could rotate. I, you know, RC has even, been good even enough. Christian Yelich gets gets a day off once in a while. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Don't spoil that one. I, I'm going to have fun with that one. Well, but we can get to that. So, yeah, it, it seems like even when things are going well, well people even, feel the need to find something to, to complain about. And this week, and it, apparently it, it got to Yelich because uh, he, he had, had a, a the, wonderful comment. Hall I didn't see the whole comment. But, MVP comment. Yeah, um, it, was, it was good. It was one of the like. It was a great, obvious troll job of some of the of of you know some of the fan base. And I liked off camera. You could hear a reporter laughing. I'm pretty sure it was Tom Hodricourt. Yeah. Sure, so I, I mean, anyways, Yelich gets the off day. It sits the the final day of the Cubs series. It gets the day off before going on into uh, Thursday's off day, which is a very routine way for teams to like take advantage of off days. You get the last game of a series off. And then you get the following off day. When they'd been targeting, they picked that game because Jose Quintana was starting for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And he had not been seeing the ball well off Quintana. And the numbers backed that up too. But like they picked that game for that reason. And what really what gets to me is like there's no argument that it in any way worked out poorly because the right field spot in the lineup that game ended up going, you know, two for four with a home run. So like you had Perez started the game when Quintana was still in and then Granderson came in and Granderson, to your point of them picking guys up, Granderson has been really, really good and he never has to face a lefty. He's been old man skilling it up. Oh yeah. Oh yes. He He is. He draws, he he draws old man. Yeah. Yeah, He draws walks and then he'll, he'll put a charge into one occasionally. And Steve, you you know, he's like three or four years younger than us, right? (laughs) No, I know. (laughs) We we see old man skills. Well, no. Yeah. I pointed that out when we were at the game the other day, I'm like, Oh, look how old Curtis Granderson is. He's the same age as my younger brother. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But so I was uh, looking just more in depth at the second half numbers from the, um, from the offense. Both Kristen Yelich and Lorenzo Cain have have on base percentages over 400 in the second half. Yeah, I mean when like, you're putting incredible when you're putting that on base, especially two guys with speed like that that are can get around the bases. You put that at the top of your lineup for you know a half like that. No wonder they're scoring a lot of runs. Speed Yelich has almost 30 home runs. <laughs> well, yeah, he's yeah, a power. I've heard, I've heard rumors of that. 17 homers in the in in the second half. And if you go by uh, runs created, so if, if you take 100 as league average and anything over that is above league average, Yelich, Kane, Shaw, Braun, Moustakis, Pena, Perez, and Granderson have all been better than league average in the second half in terms of, in terms of their offensive production. Pena has been sneaky, too. Like That's been a sneaky good run from him where he's not playing every day. They've really... What would you say now? It's about a 60-40 split with him and Kratz. They're basically platooning. Yeah, it's fairly close to that. Uh, so, Yeah, because Kratz is basically seeing all the lefties. And, and Pena is doing you know, a, a really outstanding job of just dealing with like injuries and things, too. He's, had to, he's missed some time. They had, what was it, last week, where he had to take a little bit of a break there, and Kratz came filling in for him and... Eric Kratz is not a great hitter by any stretch, but he's competent. He's able to to do that. And you well, and they trust him defensively. Well, you take competent because he's so good defensively. What was the number? He was sixth in uh, framing runs per on a on a pitch by pitch basis for the season. So in adding framing runs, so he's really a very good. And Pena is no slouch at that either. He's solidly above average as well. Yeah. So anyways, the Brewers got uh, a bit of a, a boost to the rotation this week. Um, Zach Davies made his return and shut down the Cubs. 
Yeah, and then had another and good then had another good the outing against the Giants. So, um, JP, what's it mean to this rotation if Zach Davies not only returns but can kind of be the guy they were counting on coming into the season? It gives them another option to be able to be creative down the stretch because for a while in the first couple of games, it looked like that the team actually did want to do some kind of piggybacking. Um, that they were, I think Brandon Woodruff went what two, three innings in one in one game when somebody left early. They were warming up Gio Gonzalez to be able to come in in like the fifth inning in one game, and they ended up not not going that route. But um, it looked like they were going to try to be creative with those things. But it also does make it in. You don't have to keep running out Junior Garrett, and he's struggled. Don't get me wrong. But he's also not, I don't think he's, he's as bad as we've seen, but we've seen how Junior Guerra can go from really good to really bad very, very quickly back and forth. And you don't have to keep sending him out there and wait for the good one to show up again if it ever does. You can take out somebody like Zach Davies and say, go out, give us five innings, be solid, we can go to the bullpen. Yeah, his command was pinpoint in that game on Monday against the Cubs. He was just absolutely putting the ball where he wanted and you could tell, because that's really the difference with him when he's on and when he's not. And you could tell he had it again today with the, against the Giants. He was putting the ball where he wanted. He was doing things like he would put one on the outside edge and then get the call and then move it a little bit further out to see if he could get that call too. I mean, he was, he was absolutely – it was fun to watch him and Bumgarner both doing that before Bumgarner decided to be a huge ass. Yeah. That it was an interesting sequence in the what was that the seventh, yeah, seventh yeah. inning, uh, two guys on base open when Braun gets up, uh, Bum Garner's clearly throwing in on him, like they're throws go- up and in at his head. Yeah, in the first one they they were going to put Braun on no matter what, but Bum Garner was going to take a couple shots at him, came up and in, missed a couple times, and then finally got him in the belt buckle. Well, it was, a little, it was more up than that. It was more towards the elbow. Sure. The point was he he took a few shots at him. When he was coming up and in, it wasn't just, he wasn't going for, he wasn't trying to hit Braun on the butt. I mean, he was going up. Wait, so where, where was it coming in? Towards his head. Up and where? In. Yeah, I know. You've said it like six times. We get it already. So anyways, you know, the, the umps didn't really keep control of that situation very well. It seems like they kind of let the Giants skate on it. Council came out and gave them hell. And then they, like, tossed... And then they tossed... All Count- the Brewers bench. Count- yeah, Council, Miley, and uh, uh, Nottingham Yeah, all got tossed. I mean, they tossed a couple inconsequential players. Right, guys that didn't matter for this game. You know, it, it didn't really matter, but still, it was just like, you know, what is going on here? So that's why it was fun to see Scope play hero on that one. And, oh, uh, and it just because scope also scope's been better. That's, you know, something we shouldn't lose either. He came in so cold and just really, really seemed to be in his own way a lot. And he has been much, much better over the past two to three weeks. He's hit four home runs now, I think with the Brewers since coming over. So he's, he's starting to get his power there. And he is a guy that when he is hot, can go on power binges like few other players. Like he can just go on an absolute tear and rip through pitching staffs. So it was very nice to see him give Bumgarner what he deserved. Now, Scope isn't a guy that gets on base a ton, even when he's going well. But what does that power do for the lineup, do you think, JP? It gives them another threat, certainly, to be able to make sure that the team can't necessarily just. Uh, be comfortable walking guys up uh, up higher in the order because they know that they can dispatch whoever they need at the end, right? It, it always you. It's we talked about this um, kind of with Billy Hamilton for a long time, which seems kind of a weird connection to make, I suppose. But it was always like with with guys like Hamilton, it's can you hit for enough power to make guys pitch you? Right. Like that was what that's what it came down to. It's like, do you have the ability to not just have the bat knocked out of your hand every single time? And and he has been able somewhat to do it, um, certainly against the Brewers. He has. But for for scope, you needed to be able to 
have somebody at second base that they had to worry about. And Jonathan VR hadn't proven to be that player. Uh, Eric Sogard certainly didn't turn out to be that player. Uh, Aaron Perez has been playing much better as of late, but when he was seeing time at second base, it certainly wasn't a, an option that was going to very well to the point that, you know, as we've seen, they decided to put Travis Shaw over there. Um, but, but scope gives you somebody in kind of anywhere. I, I think he actually hit fourth recently, but in general, he's somebody who's going to be down in kind of the six, seven spot. That is a genuine threat. If the guys higher up can actually get on base. Yeah. So, uh, the other big acquisition that had a, uh, Pretty good start the other day. Gio Gonzalez got a start and shut down the Giants. Yeah, seven strikeouts and one walk, I believe. Yeah, and he went like five and two-thirds. Yeah. So, you know, again, sticking with the if a guy gets in trouble, they're going to, you know, pull him out kind of thing. So, you know, it was good to see. And there had been some debate whether or not he was just going to be used out of the bullpen or not. But clearly, you know, Gio has some usefulness as a starter. And it wouldn't be surprised to see him just in that spot from this point on. Yeah, I mean, they're in the position now to kind of pick and choose where they'll use guys like that. They can decide, well, you know, maybe Geo doesn't see another start for seven days or something, but then you pick the spot and get him in there. And yeah, they, they really have the ability to mix and match and do a, just a bunch of different things with his pitching staff because they have so many guys who are competent to good. And I think Geo fits potentially into that group. So. I mean, do we think going forward is, is is that the rotation? We have Chassin, we have Anderson, we have Davies, we have Gio, and we have Wade Miley. Yes. I yeah, I think that that makes sense, but I wouldn't rule out that we would see some starts potentially from other guys in there. I wouldn't be shocked to see a Brandon Woodruff start before the end of the year. I would there... with the way they've been using him, unless the only reason I'd say, yes, Woodruff would get a start is because they have – you know, a spot locked up in the playoffs and you're lining up and they're lining up and they just figure, Hey, let's, let's have Woodruff start a game, get guys lined up for the rest of the, the off season. That's probably, that's probably what it would be. Yeah. If Woodruff were to get a start, but uh, JP could get a start again too. If they picked the right spot, I think they'd probably go Gara before they go Woodruff. Just again, the way they've, the way they've been doing it, it would probably be that piggyback. So uh, what do you think of those five going forward as far as a rotation JP? I mean, the boring answer is, I think, kind of the same as I did prior to the season, that they're very volatile. They can be good. They can be solid. Um, they can genuinely be good. Um, and we've seen that for kind of all of them for some stretches, right? I mean, even we're talking about Zach Davies is now pitching pretty well. We've seen where they can blow up. We've seen where they can be average, and we've seen where they can be good. It's just a matter of trying to... <laughs> now with only a couple weeks left to be able to hope that you kind of hit the right stride at the right time because over 162 games you can deal with those sorts of things averaging out over the course of a season you can deal with the rough stretches because you in general know that something positive is going to come down the stretch but now you have to hope that you know your average pitchers across the board can at least pitch average and they're not, you're not going to have a couple of guys blow up all at the same time, but to, you know, both of your points now they're in a spot in which if that does happen, they've got a lot of different options that they can turn to. They can even bullpen a couple of games if they really need to get to that point. Um, but geo geo was had a really strange game in which he actually missed a lot of bats, but I actually thought that he missed in the middle of the zone a lot. So it was, it was really strange to be able to see, kind of how he was pitching um and he was genuinely fastball uh fastball change up he threw some curveballs certainly but in general anything in the zone that people that he was getting for strikes uh guys were swinging at almost every single time um i think he only had one fastball that was a strike that was a called strike that somebody didn't swing on and he's got to be able to uh, miss bats and if he's going to miss bats it's going to most likely be in the zone um is, is where he's going to make his hay because uh i don't think in general from what i've been seeing and in looking back at some of the numbers this year and in terms of kind of the highlights in a, in the condensed game that i was able to watch from yesterday it doesn't look like he is it doesn't look like he's really kind of living on the corners. It looks like he is being very wild in the zone. And right now he was able to get by on Saturday by missing a bunch of bats, but that could go badly. 
Yeah, that certainly does seem like a, a recipe for potential disaster when you're in the middle of the zone. That was certainly what was going on with... But, uh, I mean, we're also talking about the guy who's fifth in the rotation. Sure. he's Yeah, you're not counting on him. And they they can pull him really as soon as they want in any given game. They're not ever obligated to like stick with him if he's struggling. If it's clear that he just doesn't have what he needs that day, there's no reason to stick with him. But but what yeah. do you really see as what's really that valuable in terms of designating who the fifth guy is, right? I mean, is that at this point is that just kind of a is that a way to classify to kind of determine who would be the first guy out? Yes. If you needed to put somebody in, is that what you're, is that what you're saying when you're saying like he's the fifth guy? Oh, I just meant, yeah, if he's volatile, he's, I mean, what do you normally expect from a fifth starter? The guy at the bat, like the last guy in your your rotation, you don't expect a guy who's going to go out there every single day and shut a team down. Right. And, and so if geo can go out there and give you a game where maybe he's wild in the zone, but he can shut a team down for, you know, into the sixth inning, but other games, you're just going to have to live with, you know, potential blow up and maybe they just you know have a quick hook on them i mean that's the way it is they were kind of dealing with that with gara anyways at this point yeah i mean yes i think that that's absolutely true the one thing that i will say um because in a lot of ways we've been talking about wade miley as the as the fifth starter and the advanced statistics still don't really like him all that much um so it'll be interesting to see how he kind of keeps going throughout the month but he's been way better than i think anybody expected and his his new cutter, I, I don't know if it's new. He started using it last year, but he started to use it a lot this year. He's only throwing an actual four-seam fastball about 20% of the time. He is pretty much straight up throwing his cutter a lot. So it'll be really weird to see how teams start kind of adjusting to that the next time they see him. Um, because if you kind of go by old scouting reports on Wade Miley, you might not have seen seen this cutter, but it's really seemed to allow him to actually attack righties um, much more effectively because he, when was his last start? That would have been against the Cubs, right? Miley? Yeah. Yeah. And so he was absolutely planning that cutter on the inside corner consistently. Um, and if he can live there, he's going to be really difficult. Um, it's, because he does have a couple of other pitches to be able to keep guys off off balance. And against lefties, if you not only have a breaking ball, but you actually have a cutter that you're going to be able to use that consistently goes away. That's a tough, that's, that's tough, but he's got to be able to throw strikes like he was against the Cubs. And that's going to be kind of a ongoing refrain that we always talk about with him. Sure. And again, with the expanded rosters and the number of arms you can carry in the bullpen, Wade Miley doesn't have to see a lineup three times. No, they really don't have to use him. Well, and especially, you know what? If Knable is showing that, okay, he's got some idea of where his curveball is going and you've added another arm that's, you know, you feel comfortable with. um, In Cedeno, you're talking about? Or Knable. I said Knable, if he's commanding that curveball. Okay. And you feel like, yeah, they went out and they got Cedeno, obviously. We talked about that. You know, Corbin Burns is still able to go out there. You know, they have effective guys that they can use before they have to get into the the hater Jeffress, you know, let's lock down a game for a win kind of situation. Soria, too. And, yeah, I always forget about Soria. Well, yeah. and Soria's actually had a couple of poor outings against the Giants. So it's, again, showing, not, not to say anything bad about Soria, because as a pitcher, you're allowed to have a bad game or two. Um, but it shows the fact that, like, the... Knable was able to step up. Sedania was able to take some innings and, uh, and, and Jeffress was obviously, you know, very, very good. The fact that you did have Knable to be able to actually step in meant that Soria didn't necessarily have to, we didn't have to focus on the fact that he blew up a couple of times. I think he gave up what a home run and then he gave up a, I think he gave up a run today. Didn't he? Yes, he did give up the run. I mean, and it was Christian Yelich dove for the ball and just barely missed it. Yeah, it was but, a bit of a weird play. Um, I mean, is Soria kind of in, does he have an issue where he has to be able to get a rhythm? Because, you know, he came out and he went on the DL after that, that Dodgers series a little while ago. He was off for a time. Um, I feel like he hasn't been able to just get out there and pitch a clean inning. Yeah, I think that that's, I think it's a good point. But um, I would have also made that argument about Matt Albers, but I don't think anybody wants to hear that argument. <laughs> I don't know. Elbers 
that was that was some kind of case the way that he was able to serve up uh, home runs though. But I mean, like, sorry, putting was, guys on is different than like, hey, it I looks know, like anybody like, could go Albers out there and hit was, one out. Albers was good. He was for about what two months, two and a half months. Oh, he was fantastic. And then since uh, he's and come then back he got, off the DL, he hasn't been giving up the hard hit balls the way he was because he was in that run right after what was it right after the break there when he came back. He was legitimately like every single time somebody made contact, it was either going like to the wall or over the wall. But that hasn't been the case so much lately it's been more but that started to happen as soon as like it happened for i think two or three outings in a row when everyone was like where did this come from and he immediately hit the dl with a shoulder issue and then he came back and his velocity was down it didn't really look good and then he hit the dl again and then now he's come out and they've been trying to pitch him in mop-up innings and it's like and maybe he genuinely is hurt i don't know but it's been very difficult for him to actually be able to prove that he can sustain you know uh, any kind of rhythm. Luckily, right now, the Brewers don't need him, so it's not that big of a deal. Well, and here's another question for you guys, because he just came back up today because he'd done his 10 days off the Major League roster. Freddie Peralta's back. And he, last we saw him, he had a very effective start. Was that against the Reds, I believe? His Whatever his last start was, it was effective. Yeah, I mean, I guess what's a role for somebody like Peralta going forward? I mean, you got a guy who can you know, come into a game and, and bring some heat. He can definitely be a change of pace compared to some of the guys they have in the rotation. The fear with him is if you bring him into a tight situation, is he going to give up runs right away and get you, push you out of it? Well, yes, because he's taken some time to, settle, to in. settle in. So, you know, that isn't necessarily what you want to see in a reliever, but right. if who he, knows until you use him in that situation? Well, JP, I mean, is there is there a chance to use Peralta in a relief situation, or do you think that's maybe playing with a little too much fire i think you'll see peralta probably only enter the game down the stretch if it's kind of a mop-up situation or you need to be able to clean up some innings i don't i i don't think that he for the exact reasons that you're mentioning i don't think he's somebody that you're going to say we have a tough spot here in the sixth inning try to go get us two like i don't think you're gonna they're going to turn to a few different guys they're going to turn to woodruff before that they're going to turn to burns before that they're going to turn to hater before that there are a lot of guys that they're going to turn to go multiple innings in a high leverage spot and it's not going to be peralta so you don't think we're going to see him start another game you could see him start another game but i don't think he's going to get called up to the brewers and immediately slot into the rotation no, there's they, going to be there there has to be a reason why he would have to start either somebody gets hurt somebody has a bad like a couple of bad games in a row or something like that i don't know is there any piggyback opportunities i mean piggyback with geo or something like that but why yeah i know and that doesn't it, it doesn't seem like you'd use somebody who has a career like geo gonzalez has had that'd be a surprising one to piggyback you bring him in and do that yeah i mean i'm not saying you couldn't but no i mean it's one I think thing we're gonna see it's one Freddy. thing to pull that with you know junior guerra and freddie peralta or something like i mean that there's, there's a difference between saying that you're gonna uh, just because somebody says that he's not gonna probably start another game in the next week or two doesn't mean that we're making the argument that you're not gonna see him no no no. i think we'll see him i think there's a, a decent chance we'll still see him start part of me would like to see him come in and just light up the gun I'd, see what that looks like. I'd at like least. to see what that looks like. See him come in with a five-run lead or a five-run deficit, and just let him go and see. I what don't. I, I would don't just, think he can. You don't think he could do that? You think he needs too much time to uh, warm up to do that? I don't think. I don't think he's got ninety-seven to ninety-eight in the tank, even in a short start or even in a short stint. Did you say ninety-seven to ninety-eight? That was, well, yeah, you said high. light up the gun. I, I don't think ninety four is lighting up the gun anymore. No, that's that's true. It's not. I didn't. I didn't put a, a, a number specific on number on it. So, um, well, it'll be interesting to see how they decide to use those guys going forward. So again, council has a lot of toys to play with going forward. It, yeah, it's I mean, not you like, can make because you can make the same argument about Freddie for what three or four pitchers. Like, yeah, how I are guess, they? Get, I guess we know Woodruff can come in and do something like that. Yeah. yeah, we've seen what we've why seen. I think like they would turn to him before they would turn to somebody like Freddie. When we've seen Corbin Burns be able to do it at a really yeah, effective level, like that's and I think that's going to be super valuable for them down the stretch and hopefully into the playoffs. Yeah. So 
Um, Greg Royce asks on Twitter, uh, now that call-up season is here, do you think they should double down on the bullpen strategy? Three inning starts aren't pretty. Uh, can they be effective for a month? I mean, yeah, we've been talking about this a lot, but hell yeah. Like, they, they, we've already seen it. We've already seen Council be even more willing to go with Quick Hook. And in certain cases, it's going to be absolutely appropriate. Like we talked about with Geo, with, uh, you know, if Junior Guerra does get another start. Uh, Zach Davies, they were fairly quick. I think Council was fairly quick on Monday to get Davies. Like, he had a successful run there, and he didn't want to push it to the point where maybe he gave up some runs and it, you know, left a sour taste. He was like, nope, okay, you're done. We're, we got what we wanted out of you. And we're ready to move on. Well, again, they've kind of been using that technique all season. To a point, they, in September, there's just no hassle with it. You don't have to send people up, down. You just, you know. I mean, th- three innings. You, you hope that the starter's pitching well enough that they can go more than three. Right. It, but if a guy is struggling and you need to pull them after that or, you know, before that, there aren't many. It season, doesn't hurt. There aren't many many situations where they're struggling in three innings, but still, like, you're really in the game. It, I mean, know, I'm not saying you can't, but they they you know it'll be from Woodruff earlier in the year against the Cubs. Yeah, that's true. Where he, I think he went like a three and a third, and it was like 95 pitches. <laughs> I, yeah, it can happen. So, um, JP, I mean, how much do you change your strategy with with the expanded rosters? You're just much more willing to be able to play matchups, I think, is what it comes down to. You're much more willing to play matchups at the plate, which we've seen again and again. I don't think that that's anything that people would be surprised about. But you're also going to be much more willing to play matchups in the fourth through the sixth inning instead of waiting all the way to the seventh through the ninth. I think that's the only thing that you're really going to see because we don't have anybody that's like a Terrence Gore and we got rid of Quentin Barry for some unknown reason. So now we don't have somebody that we can just play with and say, go pinch run in the second inning just for fun. Did you see Terrence Gore got his first big league hit the other day? I know I was offended by that because I was like, that is not his role. (laughs) But I mean, they have, you know, Keon Broxton, Curtis Granderson can still run. They do other things. They do other things. I just want somebody who only pinch runs, and that's his only job. That's like my favorite thing about September. Keon's an actual baseball player, not just like a track runner. I'm saying that my favorite part about September is when contending teams bring up somebody that like the only thing he does is pinch run. It's the Mel Stalker role. We don't have that, and that's that's awful. Well, it's it's what we have to deal with the rest of the season. Yeah, so I'm sorry, but we'll we'll definitely make sure that the Brewers front office hears your complaint because we heard I that have they're al- taking. I it. have already publicly made this complaint, so I don't think this is going to be the first time anybody has to hear it because somebody else made the point that saying Keon Broxton does things, and I was like, congratulations, he's an actual baseball player. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> hey Ryan, Kevin Schmidt asks, do you enjoy listening to Joe Madden whine about how the weather was handled Friday as much as I did? Oh God, yes. Oh yeah, it. Really I think did. Ryan probably enjoyed it more. I I enjoy anything Joe Madden crying related so so much. I saw him wiping down his TV here in his living room when I got in today. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, I I very much I very much like listening to Joe Madden cry about things. It's good. It warms my my evil heart. Yeah, well, and he's been whining about a lot of stuff lately. It's- oh, yeah, he cries constantly about stuff. I mean, that series, the the Zobrist ejection was so funny. Or wait, no, that was the last series. What was, what was the ejection this time? I don't know. It happened so often now that... Yeah, it's hard to keep if track. If I'm not watching at the moment, I can't even remember which uh, what he's complaining about at any Well, because this was the one he apologized afterwards for like overreacting. To try to like get back in the good graces, because he got ejected on Monday night, right? Overacting. It was when they were upset that uh, a curveball that was actually a, a ball was called a ball against Ryan Braun. Oh yeah, it was the Carl Edwards thing. Yes, yeah. That and, but was the, it. that had been building up for a long time, and that was like every close pitch. And I know that like there are going to be bad calls against every team, right? Like, and it's not every. Everything does not even out, but you know, life's not fair. Sometimes things are going to go against you. You know, my, my, the thing about Joe Madden is in general, I actually don't mind it if, if managers go and complain because in general, I usually think they're trying to 
stand up for their player. They're trying to show guys that they've got their back. They're trying to shield, you know, the, 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 uh, reliever to say that don't I don't want you complaining about calls I will complain about calls and I will go out and do this for you yeah Edwards um, got tossed on his way off the mound but yeah I think but Madden, like, Madden was Ed, coming out to yeah cover, cover Edwards was muttering to himself again like as he was going back to the mound even after that he was you know he was actually muttering to himself and you could read his lips where he said you know this is BS and you know, he didn't say BS but um, I was saving you from having to put an explicit tag on this. He said, we're, um, we're the Cubs. Give us calls. Yes. And, that is the and so essential. Like, but as soon as truth. you saw that that was happening, you knew that he had lost all control of what he was doing on the mound. And that, and to me, Joe Madden missed the trick because what he was doing was he was actually kind of feeding into what everybody on the mound was doing. What he needed to do was get Carl Edwards Jr. out of the game. Yeah, and Edwards, then as Edwards soon as, was a shuck. You could see he then, was shuck. But then as soon as Seashack uh, 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 came in as well, he was also not, he was wild and all over the place, but he was had a hair trigger to start complaining. And as soon as you saw that, all the pitchers were just gone. They were not in a position in which they were going to be able to battle because they were in this position in which they thought, you know, that nothing was going well. Um, well and, and none and, of them could throw a strike more than like one pitch in a row. They, they weren't locating their pitches. So you're not going to get calls when you're not locating your pitches, even when you're playing at Wrigley Field North in front of obnoxious people. <laughs> well, now they're going to Miller Park South or U.S. or Guaranteed Rate Field North. Guaranteed Rate Field North. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to use that one. I don't know. I was going to say it was U.S. Cellular, but it's not. It's guaranteed. No. I pass it all the time now. And I'm Is it not U.S. Cellular? Anymore? No. No, changed it's guaranteed it. rate field. I always, I just call it Comiskey. It's still the new Comiskey. I still It'll call it Comiskey. New Comiskey. I've, I've actually gone to a few games there. I actually really like it. I have never been. I was going to go this year and we were moving. We we're in the process of moving. So I couldn't go when the Brewers were down there this year. Mm -hmm. I keep meaning to do it and it just never happens. It's really nice. If you go, um, if you go out on the north side of kind of the the stadium and you actually like walk up and and down the steps out on the outside you get great view of the skyline on the way out too oh it's, yeah it's been over there it's really right nice. by it's right by uic so you yep a lot of that well, uh, yeah i've been in of. that neighborhood for shows a bunch of times so uh jerry eldred asks who is going to start the wild wild card game and why is it wade miley you want to take this first jb because i have a very outside the box idea i've been playing with I mean, I've been trying to make the argument for quite a long time that they would bullpen the game, and I still st stick with that. Wouldn't um, Miley be kind of a bullpen game starter? Yeah, I mean, sure. I'm just saying, so, like, that still lines up. But you could do that with anybody and just say, go, you know, send out somebody for three innings or until give up a couple of base runners and then pull. Um, I think that this is, to be fair to Jerry, this is a uh, couple of weeks old. It is. And so he... I think now we would actually say that Wade Miley might not actually be a terrible decision. I mean, if he keeps pitching like this and he's able to continuously spot his, his cutter, um, you're playing with fire because he's still not really missing a lot of bats. He still has command issues. Advanced statistics don't like him. Um, but as if like they have subjective feelings, um, the, the, the advanced statistics are not great. Um, and it's, but it's a tough it's a tough thing because in some ways confidence does matter if if he's able to outpitch because he's he's actually locating his stuff for a couple of weeks maybe you do gamble on that for the first couple of innings um but in general i think that they're going to probably treat it as a bullpen game they might start with a starter but in, i think they'll be very very quick to go to the bullpen i think they're likely to start with a starter too uh but i was thinking like if i ask you who on this staff is the most bulldog like badass pitcher that they have who you coming into like a big high pressure high stakes situation you're like yeah that's the guy i want there because he's just a badass jeremy jeffers yeah and jeremy jeffers is capable oh, of i was going... gonna say zach davies but okay <laughs> he's got that sweet tattoo though he does jeffers has that mentality where I legitimately, I know it would be very unorthodox and if it didn't work, people would scream about it forever, but, but I could see an argument for sending him out there for the first and second inning to just establish where you want to be in the game to get, to get off on the right foot. No, 
Yeah, and I completely like disagree that. with you. No. Yeah, I don't like that either. I, I'd rather have that attitude coming from Jeffress late in the game. But what if it doesn't matter late in the game? Then you get to then save what him. If it doesn't then you get matter. to save him for the game you're gonna. What if there? I was like, what if it? I was, what if it starts really well and he goes two innings and they blow up in the third? Like that doesn't. That's not really an argument. Well, no. I mean, if he goes really well for the first two, then you know you're turning it over to Burns or somebody for the you know the right. Third and, and then what if they the blow up and then now you just wasted you know yeah your potentially first two innings. No. I mean, I think the answer is probably going to be Julius Chassin, right? Like that's been he has been their best starter for the majority of the season over the the long haul has the most prototypical like Miley's kind of you wonder how he's doing it kind of with smoke and mirrors there's no doubt about how Shasin's doing it he's got you know a really good 90 mid 90s fastball and you know offset with with a really yeah really good slider so you're and an ability also you know to locate for multiple sides of the plate and go all four quadrants and all that. So he has, he has the starter repertoire. But I kind of, part of me doesn't want that also because if we're committed to the idea of pulling whoever it is at the first sign of trouble, which I think we we are, right? Are we all in agreement that that's what we want to do? Hold on, hold on, hold on. You get into the playoffs, you're basically doing that anyways. Well, in the wildcard game especially. In the, in the uh, five-game series, in game one, you're going to give your starter some leash. You're not going to be... You can give him some leash. I'm not not sure what your argument is. My point is, is that if you're going to have such a quick hook on whoever the starter is, I kind of don't like the idea of burning Shasin there and having him, you know, potentially go and it lines up for his rest, you go with your best pitcher. Yeah. Well, and they you're you're overthinking this. I probably I'm sure I am. You're definitely overthinking. I'm definitely overthinking it, but that's yeah. I mean, I mean, do you think there's such a difference between Chassin and Anderson that this is a worry? No, I mean, on any given day, Anderson could be better than Chassin. I, that's not a, yeah. But, so. so what's the problem? I'm just saying, it's not like you have oh, no, but Chassin I mean, and then like nobody can pitch behind him. Well, no, it's just that in that case, then just, you know, Chassin wouldn't be pitching until like the third game of the series and then he'd only get one start in that first series. You wouldn't get him. But if times. they win the first series, boy, he'd be gearing up for that next one. But then in the following series after that, he wouldn't oh, line. No. So, oh, man. Okay. He hit fine. an innings limit. I've, I, yeah, fine. I give. I give this, this is what I get for trying to bring outside the box thinking. I don't, no, it? it's, uh, I will say something that, uh, this is my uncharitable view. My charitable view is that you are, uh, trying to be able to maximize everything that's being able to go on by offering a counter opinion that maybe, you know, would be a little bit unorthodox, but is trying to offer us a different way of thinking about something. That is certainly my charitable view of it. My uncharitable view of it is that you're trying to maximize a process. So if it doesn't go well, you can feel better that you've maximized your process. So you don't have to feel like you got, <laughs> uh, you got burned by something. Maximize the process. That's I, I think that they sell some T-shirts you in Philadelphia man, you with been, that. All of these people would have been good, like progressive era reformers, man. All of it was like, make sure the process is right. Reform the process. If the process of the government and social institutions are good, they can fl- be flexible and do everything right. Can you tell also, he's reading a lot of books right now, people? <laughs> also, we're going to try to make everybody into a middle class white person. But aside from that... <laughs> That the progressive era. <laughs> you broke Steve. Reformers. I actually had a spit take on that. <laughs> the uh, the progressive era reformers were trying to maximize the process, so they were really the the kind of the Oakland days of the early twentieth century. Speaking of which, Billy Bean gonna ace out David Stearns for executive of the year because that was that's what my brother was saying. So I was like, well, it's got to be Stearns, right? He's like, have you looked at what Oakland's done? Because like. No, I haven't. I mean, Oakland's really, really because I clearly trying. thought that they were going to trade Jed Lowry when they were like 15 games over 500. So yeah, we no. were well, we were like past the All Star break. I think you were still tooting that horn. Yeah, it was like real. It was it was a good look. But I mean, if they were to pick Bean over Stearns for Executive of the Year, I couldn't really. That's not a, a th- argument I would like fight. But it's a very important decision, so hopefully they make the right choice. I was going to say, the executive of the year is always like, did somebody set a record? Or if not, 
like who most outperformed expectations. And I think that you would say that that's Oakland. Yeah. When's, I, when's I, the last time a brewer exec, that exec won the executive of the year? Didn't Melvin win it? Nope. JP? Oh, this was trivia because I didn't care that much. I just thought Melvin I know you're, won it. Yeah, you're, you're too cool for school. Yeah. Oh, oh no. I thought you were just joking. I, no, no, no. When is the last time? It, 2008. It was Jack Z won it. Oh, that's right. You got the executive of the year, yeah. Which was the first time that they'd given it to a scouting director and not a uh, GM. And he turned that's out to not, be a fantastic really general enhanced, manager. Yeah, that's not enhancing my uh, right, ability that, to care about the award. That went that went south quickly. Though, remember re- when he was like revolutionizing the game in 2009 in Seattle? And everybody was like, he's the best GM in the game. When you go back and think about what Jack Z was doing, do you remember? It was like, oh, don't worry. Pick the best bat possible and don't give a crap about defense. That no, no, no. Not early. Well. Not early on. When he still had Blandino with him, it was the big acquisition was the center fielder who was like the best defensive center fielder in the game. What was that guy's name? Well, yeah, but it ended up being they were like Zarenzik was paying lip service to that. They basically had like a fancy PowerPoint that he didn't believe in, but some other executive. It got him the job. And then as soon as there were like things turned bad, he immediately like took but over and went you, like even super if you old think school. about what he was doing with the Brewers, though, that was his entire strategy was pick a bat and figure out how it defensively works. Which oh, as long yeah. as you keep hitting on bats, which right, he yeah. did for a very long time. Yeah. But now I do. I will say that I was actually surprised to see this best defense, the best defensive metrics in the second half, even after all of these trades for, you know, kind of putting shot second base and moving guys around still Milwaukee Brewers by a mile. Yeah. And the thing with, hold on, going back to, to Jack Z for a second. He wasn't just getting bats. He was also getting athletes because a lot of those guys could run and could move. They just weren't like prototypical polished defenders at a position. Ricky Weeks was a great athlete. He just like needed a lot of work to be a second baseman. Corey Hart, super fast, really, really athletic, just needed work. So it turns out that like defensive capabilities are more than just like athletic abilities. Right, but he was betting on. He wasn't just betting on bats. He was also betting on. No, he was doing the speed. thing that we talked about for a long time, right? Like Matt Gamble has a huge arm at third base, therefore he must be a good defender. Turns out that's not true. That yeah, that's yes. Like I mean, it's. It, I'm just. I'm suggesting not to say that like we all didn't understand what he was doing, and it was logical to a certain respect. But the biggest thing with Jack Zarenzik is shows to me the, the evolution and how people have actually thought about offensive players, the way that Jack Zarenzik did it, that would not fly anymore because the, what, what that ends up doing is you become the Baltimore Orioles. Sure. Yeah. Like you just have a bunch of, well, and you know, a lot of their, their bats have gotten old and they've become really bad, but even when they were mashing, that was their entire plan. It was like, figure out how to put Chris Davis, you know, uh, they even went out and got Pedro Alvarez. They had Mark Trumbo. They had all of these players and like, and they were just like, yeah, figure it out. We're just going to like put them all in there. And they had a great bullpen and they were able to mash a lot of homers and it kind of worked out. But like, I don't think if right now, if Jack Zarenzik, if 2000, 2006, 2007, Jack Zarenzik were on the market right now, like before his, his kind of, ill-fated stint in in seattle if he were hitting the market on his high of helping the breweries get to the point in which they were actually making the playoffs for the first time in 20 some years you're saying i don't think i don't think he would get a job well no he wouldn't get a job because he doesn't have a a degree from mit or something that's not my point i'm saying the way that he values players he wouldn't get a job sure that's fine yeah great podcast with the jack z talk to take up the last 20 minutes so. I, I mean, I think it was like three minutes, but you certainly treated it like it was twenty minutes watching football. Over I there. can, st- <laughs> I can still, I can still, I can still spell spell Jaxie's name, no problem. First try. Hell, hey, I never hey, could. J- JP, what are your thoughts on Bruce Side? <laughs> He's ducking. <laughs> it's not, it's not a video podcast, Steve, so that doesn't work. But it was damn funny. <laughs> like he literally ducked below the microphone. <laughs> So, anyways, hey, that's gonna do it for this week's show. Uh, anything else? Any any last thoughts? What do you want me to bring up? Somebody from two thousand six? No, because then I'll wrap it up real quick. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, tune in. Tune about. in next week when we'll have me and some guests. Yeah, we got a couple guests. JP, both JP and uh, I'll be out. So, 
Yeah, I would say we'll we'll be doing kind of some different guests. Uh, Ryan and I will get the minor league podcast out, no problem. Uh, it'll be nice because the actual we'll be basically gearing up for Biloxi's uh, championship series. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm about to kind of go underground for about two weeks, so we'll we'll get the minor league podcast out. You'll get to hear some uh, way smarter voices than me, and it'll be great. So if there are any issues uh, in the upcoming week uh, with the podcast, remember you can always message Ryan Top at RD Top on uh, Twitter. Send all your complaints there. Right and the face and the Facebook page, which the he Facebook page, checks. yeah, we'll make sure he checks the Facebook page. If he doesn't see something, I will definitely forward complaints to him as well. So uh, feel free to. You're do not that. going underground. You're no, just, I'm not. You're just busy for like a weekend. I am busy for a weekend. So, anyways, that's gonna do it for the show this week. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKETailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and we are in the Google Play Store. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and listen. Oh, thanks for listening and listen. Keep listening. But look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.